Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and bring a ring and put it on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us celebrate. For this is my son who's dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of his servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me even a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you you kill the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Thank you, Andrew. And thank you to the Lord for the word. Would you join me in prayer? Gracious God, thank you for meeting us in this place. Lord, thank you for your word. We thank you for the fact that you are Father God, the one who runs to us, who embraces us, who hugs us, who kisses us, no matter where we have been. God, thank you for that grace, that mercy. Thanks for meeting us in so many places in this life. We love you. We're so thankful for the day. We pray this all in Jesus' strong and powerful name. Amen. We're so glad that you're joining us here today in person. Thanks for joining us online as well. We are going to be diving in to the passage that we just heard, a familiar story from the gospel according to Luke, this familiar parable of the prodigal son, which is truly the prodigal sons, is the story we're going to look at. But before we go there, I want to rewind in history a little ways. Back to August of 2005. August 2005, there was a Category 5 storm making its way across the Gulf, and it made landfall amongst many other places in New Orleans as a Category 3 storm. This storm was named Hurricane Katrina, and there was significant storm damage that took place from the storm. But the reality was is even more damage was coming through the storm surge. And this city was about 80% underwater by the time it was done. There was much loss of life. About 1,800 people, they estimate, lost their life in this terrible storm in this terrible time. One of the areas significantly impacted was the Lower Ninth Ward. This was a very impoverished area where many people could not leave. 
a team from FBC and a couple other churches worked together and went to New Orleans. And uh, some of you who are sitting here today were a part of that team. But I remember the team one day, we went down to the Lower Ninth Ward. And as we walked around the Lower Ninth Ward, this place of complete and utter devastation, it was very much like a cemetery, this place of a somber reality, a place of brokenness, a place of loss, a place of death. And I remember as we were walking, I walked up to a doorstep. There's this concrete steps going up to what was once a home in this place. The home was far from gone, but there the steps remained. And I remember looking and seeing a door handle on the ground and just this overwhelming reality of the brokenness and vulnerability of the individuals who live there, who are part of this horrendous reality. Now, besides being radically insensitive, if I climbed up on top of those doorsteps there and I proclaimed, nothing happened here, you would look at me in a very odd way. Besides my insensitivity, it was very obvious that there was a massive loss of life, damage all around me. And so often what we do is, whether it's storms or even in the lives of individuals, we look and we see there's brokenness right there. That, whew, that, that's a mess there. We can see in people sometimes the brokenness and the vulnerability. Then there's other times where the brokenness and vulnerability is there, but it's just covered. I remember going to New Orleans and driving around and seeing scenes like this, boats in places where boats shouldn't be, stores damaged, houses gone, just vehicles upside down. And then we think of Marshall. Clean, nice yards, beautiful old houses, stores. It just looks like it's all together. But there is brokenness underneath this layer of what we'll talk about today. And part of becoming healthy is, is living into a brokenness and vulnerability. In fact, the title of the message today is Living in Brokenness and Vulnerability. And when I looked at that message title again this week, I thought, there's no way I want to give that message. Who wants to live in brokenness? Who wants to live in vulnerability? And, and this is what we're going to talk about. But as the week went on and I looked at this passage that we're going to look at, realized that there is power in this place. And this is what this entire healthy series has been about. It's about stepping into our pain, our brokenness, that emotion we don't want to deal with in order to be healthy. And the reason we step into it and we move into it, as we've talked about the last number of weeks, is because Jesus is there meeting us. Jesus is present in that brokenness, in that thing that you want to avoid, that thing you just want to forget, that you just want to suppress. He's there in that. Now, in the passage that Andrew just read a few moments ago, we have a story of, of two sons and a father. The younger son goes to the father. This is a beautiful passage. Goes to the father and basically says to his dad, I wish you were dead. And he asked for his inheritance in this like subtle kind of undercurrent, but he was saying, dad, I wish you were dead because I want your money. I want your stuff. And the father graciously just said, here you go, son. Here's your half. The other brother and the father were now to live off of this other half that was left while this younger son went and spent it on all sorts of different things. And the younger son in the story gets to this point where he's just broke. There's a famine in the land. The economy is just uh, horrible. He's feeding pigs, which is the lowest of a low type of job that he could do. And he starts to eat the same food the pigs are eating. And there he is just broken. It's like a rock bottom. It's this rock bottom type of moment for him. 
And he says, wait. I know my father is good. And everything I've done to my father by basically saying he should be dead, taking all half of his stuff, I'm going to go back to him because I know he's good. But I'm not going back as a son. I'm going back as a servant, as a slave. Felt there was too much damage to be done that he could be the son. So if you look at Luke 15, we're going to start in verse 20. We're going to see this return. And we're going to look at this brokenness and vulnerability coming from this low of lows, this rock bottom type of moment for this individual, starting in verse 20 of Luke 15. So he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. What's that mean? The father was looking. The father noticed. The father missed him. He was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fat and calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. This is an unexpected response. The son who returned was expecting to be treated as a servant, but he was embraced as a son. The son's like, no, 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 no. You don't get this. I took from you. I, I did all these things. I spoke against you. The father's like, no, 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 no. You're back. You're back with me. You're here with me. And there's so much that we could go into this passage that we don't have time for today, but, but the father's response is beautiful. As the son was making his way back to the home, the townspeople would have gathered along the side of the road and been like, what are you doing here? Why don't you go away? We know the shame you caused your family. Why are you here? He doesn't want you. It's these voices in his head, right? Like when we do things, we get these voices in our head talking to us, these lies going to us. But the father sees the son and what does he do? He runs, right? In an ancient culture, to run is to bring shame upon yourself. Sorry, all you people who do cross country and track. It's ancient culture, that's shame, right? But you guys rock it as you run. So, so the father, the attention is on the son. The father's like, nope, I'm taking that shame. And the father runs to the son. And all of a sudden, the townspeople are like, shame on him. And he's going to embrace the son. The father takes the sin of the son and puts it on himself. The father embraces, hugs, kisses, is pouring out compassion on someone that doesn't deserve it. The son returned in brokenness and vulnerability. In the late 1600s, about two years before Rembrandt died, he painted the prodigal son. It's one of his most well-known paintings. And the prodigal son is this beautiful image of the father in this parable holding on to the younger son who is in this place of brokenness and vulnerability. The father's hands are on the son. If you go to the next image there, we can see the, the father's face. This face, you can see the pain and you can see the love and compassion in his face. You see the hands gently upon the shoulders, not forcing the son down, but gently on the son's shoulders. If you go to the next image, we see the son, the younger son, without a shoe, with just torn clothes, a shaved head, just bald. You see, if you can see his face, you could see this place of like brokenness and contentment all at the same time. 
And the father is there embracing the son. The picture of brokenness and vulnerability. But there's another son. There's another reality that unfolds. In Luke chapter 15, verse 25, we see, Scripture tells us, Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing, so he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because of him, because he has him back safe and sound. Back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So the, his father went out and pleaded with him. But he, but he answered his father, Look, all these years I have been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. You never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. We have a, another story unfolding. We have the younger son coming back in this broken and vulnerable, vulnerable state. But we have this older brother, if you go to the next image there, this older brother who's standing off to the side. We'll see the whole picture here in just a moment again. But he's got this look of contempt on his face. He's dressed like the father, and he's elevated in the picture. He's just looking down. Can't believe you brought shame on our family. Can't believe you made me work harder. I can't believe you did this. I can't believe the choice that you made. Many times we give a pass to the older brother or we just simply ignore the older brother. Someone after first service said, I had never thought of the older brother this way. But often we do that because we're like the older brother. I mean, there may have been a season in your life where you're like, yeah, I relate to the younger brother and I just ran away and just did all the things I wanted to do, but I came back to Jesus and Jesus has forgiven me. Now I'm good. I'm raising my family in the church and you know we're good, moral, upright people. We're doing all the right things. And I can't believe those sinners that think they can come to Jesus with all they're doing. We get this kind of like lofty looking down with contempt. I can't believe the choice that person's making. I mean, no one wants to be the older brother, right? I mean, we don't want to be in this place of, of pride, this, this place of just like, I'm better. But sometimes we get into this place of pride and defensiveness. Like, they don't belong here. They don't belong in the church. They, why would God forgive them if they're doing this? I'm doing it the right way. God should bless me. We don't want to be the older brother. But how do we know if we might be the older brother? Well, three possibilities here. Pete Scazzaro wrote on three possibilities of what the, the older brother could look like in our heart and in our life. The first thing he says is, is that I hold on to anger instead of processing it. The brother, in verse 28, the older brother became angry and refused to go in. Maybe anger in your life is explosive and outward or verbal or physical or whatever it may be. You just <laughs> blow up. Or maybe it's a little more quiet and internal, like I shared with you a couple weeks ago of how I realized I was angry in my heart. 
that it's like just these continued paper cuts of events in life. They just keep cutting and cutting and cutting and cutting and cutting and cutting until you have a thousand paper cuts and you're like, the pain is huge. And comes out in some unhealthy way. See, the brother, the older brother, was angry, right? And probably understandably so, is that the younger brother brought shame on the family name. The younger brother took money. The, the, the younger brother made them work harder. See, we see in Scripture that, that you can be angry and not let the sun go down, that, that in your sin, not to ang- that, or in your, excuse me, in your anger, not to sin. We see that Jesus was angry, but it wasn't sinful. See, when we have anger and we just let it sit and we don't process it and it just grows, it gets real sinful. Just as with our heartbeat, we have this seething anger that just sits, whether it comes out or it stays in. And anger can turn into physical realities. This is not the only cause by any means, but anger can turn into depression or ulcers or insomnia or migraines or tension headaches. Or maybe your anger is a little more passive-aggressive as you just ignore people. You block them out of your life. You show up late to things that you're supposed to be on time. You just, you don't address things. You, you f- conveniently forget something that this person asked you to do. Or maybe you withhold respect or love or words. Because you're not processing anger. But the Father God wants to meet us in that, that anger that's just there, whether it's explosive or it's internal. And the father's like, what's going on? What is it? What is that root that's causing it? In the past weeks, we've talked about this, asking these why questions. Why am I angry? Why am I angry about that? Why did that thing cause me to become angry? And allowing God to minister to your heart in that. So maybe you're like the older brother because you live in your anger and you don't process it. The second thing, maybe... You and I are like the older brother because I grumble and I complain a lot. This is something that you may be aware of, but quite possibly you need to ask your spouse or friend or kids, and then when they say yes or it's a possibility, don't complain or grumble about it, okay? This is sometimes a hard thing to realize in our own life, is that we're just like, well, I'm just giving my opinion. Or I'm just speaking it like it is. Or I'm just telling the truth. You may just be grumbling and complaining. The brother in this passage grumbled and complained because it was in his heart and it was coming out. In verse 29, he answered his father, look, the tone is here, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. You may be sad. You may be hurt. You may need to process these things. But it's not about living in discontentment or envy or just grumbling or complaining. As followers of Christ, we're called the joy. The Spirit of God which we remember today on Pentecost, was given to the church. This is the birthday of the church, is that the Spirit of God was given, and fruit born from the Spirit given is love and joy and peace and patience 
and goes on, not grumbling or complaining. That's not a fruit. So it's allowing the spirit of God to work through us and in us. So we may be like the older brother if we hold on to anger instead of process it, grumble and complain a lot. Or number three, cannot let go of offenses. Like I've been hurt and I am mad. I will never forgive. And yes, I just did say the F word in church. That word, forgiveness. It is probably one of the biggest struggles I see in Christians' lives. People that come in and share what's going on, when you get down to the lower levels, there's some unforgiveness. Yes, you've been hurt. Yes, you've been sinned against. Yes, there's pain in your life. Yes, that person should not have done what they did. But it's about your choices, the way you walk in it, and the way you emerge from it. Forgiveness is both a choice and a process. I choose to forgive today because the scriptures tell me to forgive, because Jesus forgave me, so I choose today to forgive, but I'm going to process the hurt, the pain, the hardship from it. So forgiveness is both a choice and a process. We don't have time to dig into a lot of the forgiveness. Forgiveness is, but I will say this, forgiveness is not saying it was okay. When someone apologizes to you, don't just say it's okay, because it's not okay. That's why they're apologizing. Say, I'm forgive, I forgive you, or I will forgive you. I forgive you now, but I'm going to work on the process with you. So we may hold on to anger instead of process it, grumble and complain a lot, can't let go of offenses, because we don't know what the older brother did. The father went to the field to see the older brother who was so mad, who was grumbling and complaining. We don't know if the older brother ever forgave, ever went back in, or if he was just bitter in the field. But I pray that we're not a church that's bitter in the field, that we go in with the father. The father comes to us, meets us where we're at, and says, let's talk. Let's deal with this. See, ultimately, when we choose to be like the older brother, it separates us from God and it separates us from other people. And in that, mission is rejected and refused when we're called to go and make disciples. I think of a passage from Psalm 51, verse 16 and 17. It says, you do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. Essentially, the psalmist is saying, hey, uh, you come with your worship songs, you come with your prayer, you sing to Jesus. But the psalmist is saying, I'm getting it. You're, you're, you're not delighting in the sacrifice, and there's a reason why. That's verse 17. It says, my sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. You, God, will not despise. So what the psalmist is saying is that I can sing all the songs in the world. I can pray all the prayers in the world. But the Father God wants us in this broken place where we just come before him and we say, God, it's yours. Lord, I'm yours. And we open our heart saying, there's anger in here. There is grumbling in my heart. There is offense in my heart that I will not forgive. But God, 
in my brokenness and vulnerability, Lord, may your spirit, which is in me, Lord, work this out. Help me to be faithful, to walk with you in these choices when I want to be bitter, when I want to stay in the field, to walk this out by the spirit of God. I'm going to invite John to come and join. He's going to sing a song. And we're going to put the, the full image of that painting back up there again, if you would. As he sings this song, I want you to look at this painting. And where are you at? I mean, this is the place that God's calling us to, and, and, and hopefully we want to be. But is that us in life right now, embraced by the Father? Do we, do we think the Father is rejecting us, staying in the house, not running to us, because you think what you've done is so bad? There's no way the Father would come to me. That's a lie. It's one of those voices. Or are we more like this older brother, just standing there staring, like, I can't believe they would do this. Paul said these words. He said, my grace is sufficient for you. And my grace is enough. For my power is made perfect in weakness. So our weakness, our brokenness, our vulnerability, this is where God meets us. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses. Saying, I said, my heart was angry. I didn't do anything to fix it. It's God that's fixing it. The weakness in me so that Christ's power may rest on me. This is the Spirit's power. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. The older brother was trying to demonstrate strength. That's pride and defensiveness. The younger brother was in brokenness and vulnerability. It's where the Spirit of God just taps into that thing and does a mighty work. So would you look at this painting while John sings this? The painting's just going to stay up on the screen. I want you to reflect and allow God to just do a work in you. Just take some time to reflect.
your son for redemption the price for my heart I don't have a context for that kind of love I don't understand can't comprehend all Maybe open your hands. Maybe to humble yourself, however that may be. Invite you into brokenness and a vulnerability. Spirit of God, transform my heart. Spirit of God, we welcome you to do a work in each one of us. Spirit, meet us in our anger. Spirit, meet us in our grumbling and complaining. Spirit, meet us in our offenses we won't let go of and minister or transform our hearts. Spirit of God, break pride in this place. Spirit of God, break pride in each one of us. Lord, we welcome brokenness. Jesus. Spirit of God, break defensiveness in us. Lord, tear, tear that down. Lord, we welcome vulnerability. 
Jesus. The Spirit of God, block the voices that are telling us all the wrong that we've done. And God, help us to hear your voice, your grace. Meet us in this place. Or we just speak grace. We speak mercy. We speak love. We speak forgiveness. What are these gifts? these treasures that you make available to us through your spirit, through the work of Jesus, through the love of the Father. Jesus, you know the strongholds, the the pride, the, the defensiveness in each one of us. God, you still run to us and you invite us to run to you. Jesus, minister pray peace. Jesus, we pray joy into households and individuals in this church. Lord, we speak patience over situations. Lord, self-control for areas that feel or we just feel out of control. Lord, we pray love we would love one another and that you would believe that we would believe in the love you have for us so Jesus thank you for meeting us in this place thank you for your forgiveness thank you for Jesus thank you for the gospel the good news Thank you for the Spirit of God who guides us, directs us, empowers us, corrects us, and sends us in the way we should go. Jesus, we love you. We pray this all in your strong and powerful name. Amen. The Father said these words to the Son who stood off to the side. And I close with these words. The father said, my son, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So for those of us know what the Lord has is for you. And that we, too, need to receive and to be focused on those around us who are lost and to celebrate, to pray for, to walk with those who need Jesus. May we walk in the ways of the Spirit of God this week. Amen.